welcome to Meet Me in the Middle, the podcast that discusses wellness world, life, culture, all the things, and aims to find like a nice, healthy balance in the middle of it all. My name is Jenny Omani. And I'm Annika Buckle. Uh, We love that you're listening to us. Thank you. If you want to further support the podcast, we would love if you could hop on over and give us a five-star review on the platform of your choice. Share us with your friends or your friends on the internet. (laughs) Uh, That kind of stuff makes a really big deal to us. So thank you. I mean, internet friends are real friends. Real friends. Sometimes they're my only friends. I've made genuine real friends on the internet. So it's a thing. Well, welcome back to the finale of our trash wellness fads through the decades series. Uh, (laughs) It was a summer series, but we're, you know, by the time this goes up, it's not gonna be summer anymore, but that's fine. Well, Well, technically it's summer until the 21st. So it's fine. Yeah. And like, we like to hold on to summer. So here we are. (laughs) Uh, We are in to the 2010s it just doesn't have the same ring as like the 19s the 70s the 80s the 90s it's like just kind of lands flat but it really does doesn't it it doesn't have the same womp womp doesn't have a cute Uh, nickname doesn't like it's still too close to really have much context i think mentally for us right yeah well and that's the thing is a lot of the stuff that i was finding i was like no that was oh yeah i guess it's 2020 okay yeah okay yeah i can see how that happened why is it because in your head 2014 was like two years ago like it is in mine oh my gosh i know so I'm going to do a few honorable mentions, and then there's a couple that I'm going to just talk a little bit more about. Our honorable mentions for the 2010s, uh, the raw foods diet, uh-huh, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. What comes to my mind every time I hear about raw food diet is, what the fuck are you eating other than vegetables? Cooking is kind of just part of food. <laughs> I mean, you're e- you're eating a lot of vegetables and fruit and like sashimi i ha- I, mean, I will say when i was um teaching yoga there was a raw food um like vegan raw food place across the street from one of the studios that i taught at and it was really 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 good oh i'm not saying that it can't be good i'm just saying that like you are limited in where you can eat Oh, well, and I mean, it was really good. Like the like once a week lunch I would treat myself to, right? Yes. Yeah. 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 When the novelty was there. Everything in moderation. Totally. So raw foods diet just gets an honorable mention because there's really not much to dive into there. You just don't cook anything. Um, it's supposed to be better for digestion, blah, blah, blah. Sure. Sure. Uh, of course we have if, our friend. If you like that, eat it. Good for you. That's great. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. Any of these. If you like any of these. Honestly, this is where the middle ground is. Go, You do you. Just don't like evangelize Cross. it. Uh, we got our friend Keto. Makes their oh, yeah. modern day trend debut in the 2010s. Uh, has been in existence much longer for its target population, which is children with epilepsy. Um, but in a very interesting turn uh becomes a diet for adults who don't have epilepsy um and then the vegan diet obviously vegans have existed for a a very very long time but it kind of just becomes more um i don't want to say accepted but just more prevalent 
Yeah, uh, I feel like the yeah. 2010s is where like you start to see it indicated on restaurant menus, yeah. right? Like that's where the little V or the little plant starts to show up, I feel like, right? Yeah, it becomes a bit more mainstream. Mm-hmm. Um, mainstream is a good word. Yeah, it just becomes more mainstream. I read one statistic that I did not verify. So let's just have a grain of salt with this number. 1% of Americans were vegan in 2010 and 6% were vegan in 2019. So- wow. I don't know if that's actually an accurate statistic because I honestly didn't care enough to look into it. But if it's well, and I also, yeah, I feel like the best we can ever do is ballpark anyway, because you can't go into everyone's homes and verify their pantries, nor should we. (laughs) Right, right. Six percent of the people who took the survey. Um, (laughs) And then they extrapolated that. Um, And then the other one, which we've talked about is intermittent fasting. So intermittent fasting comes onto the scene in the 2010s, still going pretty strong. I think, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I see it still a lot in my like wellness feeds specifically for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In that confused algorithm that exists for you. (laughs) It's it's like, like, I don't know what you want from me. (laughs) Do you like this or not? I'm going to keep giving it to you. And then you keep clicking on it. So I think you do, but then you also search the opposite of it a lot. So I'm not really sure. Yeah. I don't know what we're doing here, Annika. (laughs) Okay. So, um, our first one beyond honorable mentions is our friend, the whole 30. And I'd actually like to look into this a bit more because I do find the founder a very interesting woman. Um, She's very political in terms of women's rights, um, in terms of um, anti-racism. She uh, seems to have grown a lot since her, this brand was established. um, And she has called her own self out um, a lot in terms of how Whole30 started and what it is now. Um, so I do think it's actually a very interesting topic and it's an, it's a good reminder that, you know, when we have different information, we change, but, yeah. and it, you know what, you make a good point. Cause I absolutely adore her content. I Me love too. the yeah. things that she shares. I love just that she is unapologetically who she is, but she mm-hmm. also isn't afraid to, to your point, call herself out and mm-hmm. acknowledge and admit, you know, how things have shifted for her and the ways they have. Mm-hmm. So she's, I can't remember her handle, her handle, but it's Melissa Urban's her name. And she's a very interesting woman. Uh, so we are going to talk about the origin of Whole30 because that's the time period we're in. But just know that there's actually been quite a large shift in how this is marketed and presented. Um, but this is where it starts. So the gist of Whole30 is, and this I believe is still true today, this part, it's two phases. It's 30 days of elimination and then 10 days of reintroduction. So it's essentially a condensed elimination diet. I have done a medically, I don't want to say supervised because you don't need to be supervised, but a medically advised elimination diet when I was having a lot of dermatitis, which in the end had nothing to do with food and everything to do with wearing a mask literally all the time during COVID. But, um, it's, it's, it's essentially an elimination diet. Now, any proper elimination diet is actually gonna be longer than 30 days. It takes longer than that for a lot of the proteins from certain um, food groups to clear your system. So you're not, I just as a caveat, if you are looking to see if you have food in um, intolerances or sensitivities, I would not do the whole 30. I would talk to your medical provider because there is a way to do elimination diets. And this isn't actually really it, but it sort of presents, presents as an elimination diet. The idea being that you eliminate all 
sugar, added sugar, real or artificial sugar, no alcohol in any form, uh, no grains, no legumes, no dairy, no sulfites or carrageen, carrageen, and no recreating baked goods, treats, or junk food. I'll talk about that in a minute. Um, and no stepping on the scale or taking measurements, which I'll also talk about. So you essentially drop all these food groups for 30 days, and then you're supposed to reintroduce them over 10 days and just see how you feel and how, if it's, if there's been any changes in your overall well-being by dropping these food groups, you often see it kind of pair along with paleo diets because mm-hmm. it's pretty aligned with paleo. It's just like a stricter paleo, mm-hmm. um, stricter version of it. What is interesting is the reason they say no recreating baked goods, treats, junk food is they, the purpose is to eat sort of wholesome, whole foods, um, and to enjoy what you're eating and appreciate them in more of their like air quotes, natural form, like you can cook them and stuff like that. But as opposed to trying to make dupes of treat foods, your favorite cookie or the like yeah. slice of oat bar that you love or whatever. Sure. Yeah. The the goal is more as per the founders of this to change your relationship with food. And the thought is that if you're just making junk foods with whole food or whole 30 approved ingredients, you're not looking at your relationship. You're just, it's like, you're missing the point a little bit, right? That's, that's how right. it's presented. Yeah. Right. Take what you want from that, but that is how it's presented. Right. Um, right. <laughs> and it's always not been about weight loss as per the founders. So no stepping on the scale, no taking measurements It's about, um, resetting your sort of digestive system and seeing how you, you feel. That's what they, the stance from them is, um, the modification, there have actually been a lot of modifications over the years. So to their credit, they've taken feedback and actually implemented it. One is that they allow potatoes, white potatoes initially were not part of it. Um, and as they sort of, I don't know, the information was there at the time it was created, but they basically were like nutritionally as they evolved. (laughs) Yeah. Nutritionally, there is nothing wrong with white potatoes and they are no worse than sweet potatoes or yams. Therefore, there's a lower glycemic index. Poor, That's a, poor it's potato. a very, it's a, it's a very, it's a very um, paleo thing. No yeah. white potatoes is very yeah. paleo. Yeah. yeah. But nutritionally, it doesn't really pan out. So they did allow white potatoes. Um, yay. Potato. Yay. No long, no longer maligned in this particular diet. I do like potatoes. Uh, peas are made as an exception for legumes. Um, and MSG is acceptable. So MSG was initially like not acceptable. Interesting. I am actually going to put in the chat the statement on why MSG um, was reevaluated. Whole30 CEO Melissa Urban is always evaluating the Whole30 rules against the current science, our clinical experience, and our learnings. The bottom line? There is a lack of verifiable science to back up claims that MSG is the cause of negative health symptoms. And there is very compelling evidence that, quote, Chinese restaurant syndrome, 
quote, is rooted in racism and xenophobia. See, this is exactly the kind of stuff we were talking about. That's why we will no longer specify MSG as off limits in the whole 30 program rules effective immediately. This announcement ties together current science and historical learnings with our diversity, equity, and inclusion values. It's the right call for the program and our whole 30 community. You know what? I, this, and I don't, maybe it was even actually from her, but I have in the last couple of years, I have noticed this kind of pushback, I think, especially around kind of this um, resurgence of anti-Asian hate and kind of Mm -hmm. the response to that, that a lot of these kind of quote unquote food rules we have about good foods and bad foods aren't taking into account people's culture. Mm -hmm. And it, again, to kind of exactly this statement, it becomes just another kind of racist mallet for the dominant culture to use against minorities. Mm -hmm. I found it really, I really appreciate when a brand of, and respect when a brand of any type makes a change and then like calls themselves out in the process versus just like, cause all they had to do was literally go through all their copy, delete the no MSG and call it a day. Do you know what right. I mean? Like they didn't need to put out a statement. They didn't right. need to do that. You could maybe call it performative if you wanted to. I mean, I don't know enough about anything to say that, but I do appreciate because it's brought dialogue to it. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really to those people who did complain and bring that up. I think it, I would hope it gives them a bit of, you know, that sense of being listened to. Um, so well, I, and I think that deserves like a yeah. clap. Well, and I think it, to exactly kind of what you were saying at the beginning, like this is a beautiful example of like how a brand can, you know, even maybe inside something that might be, you know, problematic can reimagine some of the most problematic pieces, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that's Whole30. I think uh, it, what the often happens with Whole30 is it becomes like uh, almost like a cleanse version of paleo, <laughs> like where you just like take mm-hmm. it to the next level. But even at its core, it was, it was meant to be an elimination diet. Yeah. So, yeah. which I think it's kind of lost in translation now because people use it as like a weight loss or whatever, but that was actually never really the purpose. Yeah. Well, and, you know, I have done um, a program called the Whole Life Challenge a number of times um, in my past. Um, And a lot of those food rules are, I mean, it's basically, you know, paleo eating along with a lot of other things that actually were, you know, really beneficial meditating and stretching. And the idea is it's not just these things that you're eating, it's your literal whole life. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, that was also a time when I was really um, kind of enmeshed in orthorexia and really, mm-hmm. really concerned about kind of the healthfulness of everything I was eating. And I have mm-hmm. uh, one of my dear friends actually, who started with the whole 30 actually for, you know, some sensitivities and it led her down this really dangerous orthorexic path that she has Mm -hmm. now, you know, she creates great content around her journey and her recovery from that. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think in a lot of ways, something like this can, can be a gateway for people or can be a tool for people to stay unwell or to become unwell. And that's, I think where some of the danger lies. Totally. There's a lot of control that comes into it. You can't have this. You can't have that. Okay. Well, this feels like a really good transition to paleo. (laughs) 
(laughs) (laughs) Also, um, a leading diet trend from the 2010s. Um, I mean, paleo is, there's a few problems with it and they, they're like real basic problems. So, I mean, it's an eating plan based on, it's supposedly based on foods that humans may have eaten during the paleolithic era. Um, it's, the concept is based on the idea that our genes aren't adjust, adjusted for modern diets. Um, and we just cannot digest food as it is. We need to go back to our paleolithic, um, roots. So there's a few problems with this. Um, one, first and foremost, the paleolithic era dates from 2.5 million to 10,000 years ago. Very hard to pin down uh, something the from a one period. single this is a set very, of rules. This is a very lo- or large time frame. Um, this so so that's that's one problem. Another problem is um, that grains, legumes, and dairy have actually been a label available since the end of the Paleolithic era. So if you want to look at part of the time frame that includes the Paleolithic era, there was small scale farming. Right. So, so that, if our problem is is farming, we were farming. So, if you do, you want to say the ten thousand year ago part, or are we going with the two and a half million? Because like the two right. and a half million, I don't didn't find anything to say we were farming then. Right. Right. But so so that's a problem. Um, another you know little hole to park in this uh poke in this argument is that uh archaeological like researchers archaeologists that like literally figure this shit out for a living have found tools for grinding grains that are uh at least thirty thousand years old so again what are we just looking at the part part from 2.5 million years ago or right right they have also found micro fossils um of plants found in the dental remains of paleolithic paleolithic humans and neanderthals and this shows that their diets included wild grains and then the other like more practical if we if we really if we don't even want to think about like carbon dating and pesky things like that food availability varied like vastly depending Uh on where someone lived right so which region are we basing the paleo diet off of right the neanderthals and the paleolithic humans in like what is now North America, we're not eating the same things as their counterparts in what we call Africa now. So, I mean, those are like the main, it's it's basically like someone made a diet and was like, let's call it this. And totally. It, yeah. Like, it's like, they just, it's like you, it you find a buzzword to support what you want or have already created. Right. So, I mean, it's kind of almost feels like marketing. Uh, and then the last thing to really just sort of like nail in the coffin, this is that uh, genetic research has shown that there are evolutionary changes that did continue in us humans beyond the Paleolithic era. Right. And so, so why would some things evolve, but not like our ability to digest the food mm-hmm. that we eat regularly? Exactly. Right. So these genetic changes include expression of genes that are related to breaking down starches, grains, lactose. Right. Right. And it's kind of, they use this as an argument for paleo, but it's 
actually an argument against it. There are humans who don't have, they don't make lactose. There are lactose right. intolerant people. Yes. Because there are people, diversity. There are, right? <laughs> there are people who can't digest, you know, wheat there. Like these are things yes. that exist and are real. Yeah. And you know, I think it's a little bit like this, like concept of like, everything needs to be gluten-free. Mm-hmm. Like some people will have a sensitivity to that. And some people will not, some people can eat milk products and some people cannot. Mm-hmm. This is, I think where we just love to paint ourselves into a corner with these really broad brush, brush strokes of this, you know, everybody should eat like X, everybody mm-hmm. shouldn't eat Y. Mm-hmm. Um, when the reality is like, you just got to figure out what works for you and then do that for you. And I also just find this like bizarre obsession with how we used to be is somehow better. Like the well, lifespan was like fucking nothing. <laughs> and women died in childbirth all yeah. the freaking time. And like to me, th- that's exactly it. We it like bumps up against this like um very kind of right wing hearkening for a better time when, you know, women weren't what allowed to time? divorce their husbands and, you know, you could hit children, right? It's like that doesn't oh. feel great to me. And I no. don't see any reason for us to go back there. So, yeah, I do think there is that kind of like hearkening piece that starts to feel a bit gross when you dig into it. Totally. And you hear arguments like, well, people weren't dying of cancer. It's like, absolutely they were they didn't know what cancer was well and also guess what if you die in childbirth at 14 maybe you didn't live long enough to get cancer so i mean how do you want it on the trend of cutting out food groups uh let's carry on to our gluten-free trend Uh aha i knew we were i knew we were coming to it Mm -hmm. so the gluten-free trend is actually not all bad this is actually great for people with legitimate um Mm -hmm. gluten allergies people with celiac like the amount of available, not tasting like cardboard food products for them was such a, there was like such limited bread and just options in general. And because mm-hmm. gluten-free became super trendy, this brought about labeling. Um, this brought about, uh, you know, awareness in terms of cross-contamination because in order to have something actually certified as gluten-free, there can't be contamination. I believe it would be like nut free where you can't have things in the same facility, all that. So if you have celiac disease, this gluten-free trend has actually given you a lot more palatable food choices. So that is mm-hmm. not a bad thing at all. No. And um, I think this is the flip side of a lot of this stuff, right? Like my cousin growing up was severely allergic to cow's milk. And I mean, it's the 1980s on like Vancouver Island, like his options were almost non-existent Mm -hmm. where, Mm -hmm. you know, he has a myriad of choices now, right? Creating space for people with different nutritional needs is a really beautiful benefit of having such a wide variety of awareness now. Like anything Mm -hmm. else, have we taken it too far? Sure. I'm sure that's where you're about to go next. Excellent segue. Um, so gluten sensitivity is actually debated and in the within the academic community, it's relatively agreed upon that it doesn't exist. You're either allergic or you're not. Having said that, anytime we eliminate foods and then bring them back, sometimes our bodies are just like not able to digest them very well. This is kind of what's happened um, when you look at nut allergies in kids. Like we used to say mm-hmm. defer giving kids nuts until they were a year and now we know that that was actually causing nut allergies and that kids needed to be exposed to these different allergens and different proteins 
to build, you know, to be able to not mount like a life-threatening histamine response to right. them. So, I mean, I don't doubt that there are people who genuinely feel better when they don't eat gluten. I know For sure. of them. Most highly processed foods have some kind of gluten in them. So if you are genuinely eating completely gluten-free, you're eat, you're not eating a lot of things. You're not just avoiding like bread and flour and wheat and grains. You're not right. eating a lot of processed food if you're genuinely following a gluten-free diet. Right. And I mean, basically every health, like legitimate academic in the field will say, yeah, you know what? If you are in a position to not eat a bunch of hi- highly processed foods, like that is good for you to not do that. Right. Right. Well, and I think like (laughs) everything else, right. This comes back to like, do you enjoy not eating this thing? Do you feel better when you don't eat it? Like then don't eat it. And then don't eat it. Totally fine. Totally. And, you know, do we have to be mindful about cutting out an entire category of things if doesn't have that response to it? Right. I think Mm -hmm. this is like exactly, you know, when we were touring through the decades, what we saw, in the, you know, in the eighties and even into the nineties, right. Oh my God, we can't have any fat. Everything has to be low fat. Well, what are yeah. you replacing it with? Well, it's sugar, yeah, sugar, well, it's, <laughs> right. Like yeah. what are you replacing yeah. the gluten with? If you're, you know, gluten-free without necessity. And is that actually better for your body? Totally. And I think that you would be hard pressed to find someone who genuinely understood and cared about nutrition, who would find any fault in any food group being consumed or not consumed based on how you feel with it. If you just say to a dietitian, Hey, you know, when I eat dairy, I really don't feel great. I don't eat dairy. They'd probably be like, yeah. Okay. okay. Right. It's like, it's like, okay. I don't eat mushrooms. Cause I don't like the texture. That's yeah. okay too. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> I hate bananas. Right. That's just fine. the way it is. Right. Totally like, fine. Right. It's yeah. not an allergy. I hate, I don't, I don't like them. Like that's fine. So yeah, I think gluten-free in a way was actually a real po- really positive movement in the sense that it did give so much better access for people who have celiac. Mm-hmm. Now, the flip side of that is also that um, people take it less seriously because so many people are selectively gluten-free that they're not worried about cross-contamination and they'll say, oh yeah, this oh, it's is fine. And then somebody gets gluten bombed and they're like, yeah, you they're know, really sick. over in pain for a week. Yeah. Yeah. Cause they're yeah. allergic to it. Yeah. So I think there's that sort of that caveat, but overall, I think it's been, um, a positive for people who have celiac and, you know, an actual gluten allergy w- would not be a trash diet chat from the 2010s without bringing up our friend GP Gwyneth Paltrow um uh yes the heyday so she made a little thing called uh juice cleanses popular (laughs) never heard of them (laughs) so they've been around for decades like that's not surprising um but of course uh they became more commercialized and then in the 2010s gp gwyneth she talked a lot about uh, juice cleanses over the period of time there's actually an entire uh page in the goop uh website dedicated to talking about juice cleanses and listing different places you can buy them from, et cetera. They don't actually sell them themselves, but, um, anytime I click on a link for something that is sold, I do wonder if there's an affiliate component to it. (laughs) Right. I do want to highlight, uh, like subheadings within their juice cleanse pages. And this sort of sums up how a juice cleanse is. So the heading is how we get through it. That's really selling your juice cleanse. When you have to like be like, like nothing says this is hard to do, like a, 
and it's bold and all capitals on their website. How we like get somebody, it. somebody shouting at you that you're going to get through this. <sighs> we always start each cleanse morning with a glass of warm lemon water throughout the day, depending on how many juices we need to get through, get through. We supplement with herbal teas, hot water with lemon or ginger and room temperature water. We find light exercise and colonics help things along as you're shedding toxins from your system. It's also very useful to have a cleanse buddy and to stay scheduled and busy, particularly around mealtimes. Don't are worry. You, are you hungry? You haven't planned enough for the day then. Mm-hmm. Um, don't worry. They do have a suggestion. If you absolutely need to eat like chewing, like food you chew, quote, if you're in a bind, Try some cucumber or celery slices with lemon and a touch of mandolin or Malden sea salt or a bowl of warm vegetable broth. So have a hot juice if you can't have a cold juice. Right? I was like, <laughs> yeah. So juice cleanses make a, I know so many people who've done juice cleanses mm-hmm. and, yeah. and, and they're like, I lost so much weight. I'm like, no shit. <laughs> you ate no food. The, I mean, There's this is no way your caloric intake was anywhere near what it needed to be. And did it stay off? Or did of you gain it, didn't. it back the next day when you ate food again? This is Oprah Winfrey's wagon of fat all over again, right? Poor it's like Oprah. I starved myself for this certain amount of time. I lost weight. Then I started eating again and oh no, it didn't work. And the only thing that brought me joy is like seeing how proud people are of me for being thin. And then we wonder why everybody has internalized fat phobia. Huh. Right. Shocking. If like the, one of the most wealthy, powerful women in the world is experiencing this, they're right. like, what, what, right. what is there for us? What, what hope <laughs> do the rest of what? us have? Yeah. Okay. We're going to um, wrap this decade up with, uh, in my opinion, the most surprising became really mainstream thing, bulletproof. Coffee shops had this. Yeah. Some, sure of some, do. Do. some of them still do. Some of them still do. Yeah. Butter blended in your coffee. I tried I mean, this. It's, it it's does taste keto, good. It's paleo. It's gluten-free. Yeah. And it is often supported on juice cleanses. So I feel like... <laughs> It kind of sums it all up. Like, how could it it? not have been popular, right? This is a great finale for a reason. I (laughs) genuinely did make bulletproof coffee for a while. Um, It's not bad. It's very expensive. I didn't Mm -hmm. buy the bullet, the special coffee beans. I think this is one of the guys that says there's like mold everywhere. Right. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that there's like mold in all the coffee except for his coffee. Um, Right. Oh, weird. We're all eating mold all the time daily and somehow totally fine hmm. no we're not fine that's why everyone is sick wake what? up sheeple do you have brain fog <laughs> yes i have children um <laughs> you have brain fog have you tried not eating that yeah. usually helps and when you do eat make sure it's like butter blended in caffeine <laughs> So the o- the OG original recipe for Bulletproof Coffee is it's coffee, special coffee mixed with grass-fed unsalted butter or ghee and MCT oil, which is MCT is just like a more concentrated refined it's, version of coconut it's oil. It's just it coconut is, oil. It's coconut oil. Well, it's coconut fancier oil. fancier marketing. <laughs> yeah. It's coconut oil that 
is like more refined. So it's it's like more processed coconut oil. <laughs> it's the irony of this. Um, and the founders, Dave Asprey, who, I mean, he just, his name is all over anything that is like a biohacking bro thing probably mm. started with him. <laughs> right. Um, I would like you to guess what the name of his book is. Move over regular coffee. <laughs> I like that you went with a cow noise. All right. There's the name. The Bulletproof Diet, lose... I can't even say it without laughing. <laughs> this is a real... I didn't make this up. This I is know. Real. This is what makes it funny. Um, the Bulletproof Diet, lose up to a pound a day, reclaim energy and focus, upgrade your life. Mm-hmm. I'm willing to bet this is going to be one of those things where he says it applies to everybody. As long as you try hard, like you can do this. And if you don't, it's your fault. Right. Um, you didn't lose up to a pound a day. You're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. Uh, I mean, there's a diet. So the diet book, it's like your usual thing. There's foods you can't eat, blah, blah, blah. But the way that he labels them is uh, the good foods, air quotes, the allowed mm-hmm. foods are called bulletproof foods. Oh, yeah, they are. And the bad foods are just called toxic foods. Ooh, just laying it out there. Hey, just absolutely no, not mincing words. Um, well, and you know what? Like, if you like butter in your coffee, oh, my God, get it. Good for you. But it's probably uh, not uh, the reason that you're going to upgrade your life. I found the most entertaining paragraph ever on Wikipedia. And this is Wikipedia's like kind of Coles Notes description of him. Um, I'm going to put it in the chat because I want to see if you can just get through it. (laughs) Considering I couldn't even get through the title of that book, Don't Hold Your Breath. Oh, this won't disappoint. (laughs) Asprey has said that he expects to live to... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like five words in and i can't okay as has said that he expects to live to age 180 as of 2021 he says he has spent at least two million dollars on quote hacking his own biology including having his own stem cells injected into himself taking 100 daily supplements Following a strict diet, beating an infrared light, using a hyperbaric oxygen chamber, and wearing special lenses when flying or using a computer. Asprey has also spoken about how biohacking has had a beneficial <laughs> effect on his sexual health. And he kept an ejaculation journal for a year. Isn't that awesome? He, like, what? Like, sorry, what did the ejaculation journal, the year long? Like, did he, like, did, did he like put it under a microscope? Did he taste it? Like, how did it, how is he measuring it? So he, he just seems like a character, doesn't he? <laughs> Wouldn't you feel like a vampire? And vampires in all the books I've read are always very sad because they just keep watching everybody around them die. So I'm just saying. <laughs> Careful what you wish for, Asprey. <laughs> read A Discovery of Witches. The vampires have Don't. some real tales to tell you. use the discovery of witches trilogy as a cautionary tale my friend right (laughs) so that's a highlight reel from the 2010s which nothing makes me feel older than 
saying that because <laughs> those all feel very recent. And then that is part of the reason that we're ending this series today and not even attempting what has been only three years of this current decade we're in. I refuse. I checked blood products for someone like last week and their birthday was like in the 90s. And I (laughs) was floored that they were not at a pediatric facility (laughs) until I realized. And then you realized they were in their 30s. They were definitely old enough to be in an adult hospital. So well, that's it. this that has is been our a series. This has been a really fun little summer project. I think that there is, um, I can tell you unequivocally that there are some nuggets that we have unearthed that we are going to go down some rabbit holes on over the next oh, couple of months sure. because there's some good slash awful stuff here. Annika has just volunteered to read Dave Asprey's ejaculation journal. Thanks so much for listening to the email. We really appreciate your support. And if you could do us a big favor and subscribe and share this podcast, it would mean the world to us.